Welcome to the podcast for Windsor Road Baptist Church. Prepare your heart to receive God's message. Good morning, Windsor Road Baptist. In case you hadn't heard, Lynette and I are in isolation for 14 days because we had close contact with somebody with the uh, coronavirus. And uh, so we can't join you physically today, but praise the Lord that we can join you uh, via technology. Today we're going to look at one of the most offensive passages in the Bible. And uh, before we did that, I thought we'd warm up by looking at some of the offensive comments that people have made to one another down through the years. Good old Winston Churchill was a bit of a classic at this, and he had particularly a few run-ins with Lady Astor. And uh, one time he turned up for Parliament drunk, and she called him out and said, Sir, you're drunk. And he replied, And Madam, you're ugly, but in the morning I shall be sober. She had another go at him later on when she said, If I were married to you, Winston, I would put poison in your coffee, to which he quickly replied, Madam, if I were your husband, I would drink it. Not a good relationship. Novelist Tom Clancy didn't think much of Bill Clinton, President of the United States. He said, Bill Clinton is a man who thinks international affairs means dating a girl from out of town. Comedian John Stewart says, I don't approve of political jokes. I've seen too many of them get elected. Novelist Kurt Vonnegut said, If your brains were dynamite, there wouldn't be enough to blow your hat off. That's a good one to keep in your armoury, isn't it? John Gilgood obviously didn't think too much of Ingrid Bergman's acting style. She said, he said, she speaks five languages and can't act in any of them. It's a Wimbledon time, so good always to quote good old John McEnroe, who uh, famously said to a member of the audience, what problems do you have apart from being blind, unemployed and a moron? It's very compassionate of John McEnroe. And finally, Mae West, famous actress, said uh, of a fellow actor, his mother should have thrown him away and kept the stork. Pretty offensive stuff. But in the, the Gospel of Mark, we read Jesus being very offensive as well. If you've got a Bible there, you might like to turn to Mark chapter 7, verses 24 to 30, as we continue our journey through the book of Mark. And in Mark chapter 7, verse 24, it says, Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose daughter was possessed by an evil spirit, an impure spirit, came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syrophoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. In the story, Jesus makes quite an offensive comment. The context is he's in Tyre, which is one of the Gentile towns. He had, he had been in Judea when he had fed the 5,000, and then they had crossed the Lake of Galilee. As they crossed Lake Galilee, Jesus had come to the disciples and revealed his presence to them. He had 
passed by them the same way that God had passed by Moses in the in the Old Testament, revealing his character, compassionate and loving and long-suffering and generous. And so Jesus had demonstrated he is the bread of life and demonstrated his presence. But Mark doesn't tell us why he travels to the region of Tyre. What he does do, though, is to emphasise the fact that the woman who came to him was a Gentile. Presumably most of the people who lived in Tyre were Gentiles, non-Jews. And it's possible, I guess, that a, a Jewish woman might have lived there, but Mark is at pains to emphasise that this is a Jewish woman, uh, a Gentile woman. And this is what adds the tension to the story. You see, the people of Israel, the, the Jews, believed that God was using them to redeem the world. But the sequence was very clear. The Messiah, the chosen one, God's anointed one, would come to the children of Israel and he would liberate them from the Roman oppression and he would establish the kingdom of God in Jerusalem. Then the Gentiles would flood to Jerusalem and saying, yep, you were right all along and worship Yahweh. And so this idea of Jesus, who was the Messiah, ministering to Gentiles was a very tense issue, particularly when it was this woman came and spoke to Jesus. And as you read it, you should say, so, so what is Jesus' answer as he is face to face with this Gentile woman? How does he respond to her request? We read in verse 27, First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. This is offensive on two levels. First of all, it's clearly racially discriminatory. It wasn't the woman's fault that she was a Gentile. It wasn't her fault that she was born in a Greek city. It wasn't her fault that she was from Tyre. It wasn't her fault that her children, her child had been possessed by a, a, a demon. Yet Jesus rejects her on the basis of her ethnicity, saying, I've come you know, to feed the children of Israel first. And the second part of the offence, of course, is the whole thing about implying that either she or her child was a, a dog. That was Jewish language. It was the way that a Jew sought to offend a Gentile was to call them a dog. You know, dogs, they, they scrap around they, outside the, the city, horrible things in those days, mongrels. Uh, and so Jesus, for some reason, deliberately adopts this language. He, he could have just said to her, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm coming first to the people of Israel. Uh, you know, I wait on the Lord for his redemption or whatever. But instead, he chose to use this language. And so down through the centuries, uh, Christians have been often embarrassed by this story. And, and can I recommend that if you use the Discovery Bible method, which is where you go to a, a non-Christian and say, um, I'm looking for somebody to read the Bible with me, would you, like, would you be interested? And when you do that, you don't go to this text first. Right, maybe somewhere down the track, but, but not first. There's been various ways of trying to, to understand it. Some, some say that you can't pick up the, the subtleties of Jesus' communication in the printed text. And then when he, he speaks to the uh, Syrophoenician woman, he's got a bit of a, a glint in his eye, you know, a bit of a, a wry smile and a sort of a, this is a, a questioning, light-hearted sort of comment. But there's no indication in the text of that. And if Mark had wanted us to, to get that impression, I'm sure he would have been able to communicate it some way. 
Others say, well, actually, it's, there's different type, there's different words for dog in the Greek. So there's words for big dogs and words for little dogs. And the word he uses here is the word for a lap dog, you know, one of those little dogs that live, that live only in a house. And so it's, it's almost an, uh, an affectionate term, they're saying, when Jesus uses the word. Uh, but I, I struggle with that. I, I don't think it matters whether Jesus called her a bulldog or a chihuahua. Uh, to imply that she was a dog was, was clearly quite offensive. Uh, others have suggested that it, it, it's a challenge of faith for the woman that Jesus was trying to see how she was going to respond to his, his, his challenge. Um, but again, that seems a little, a little cruel uh, when hold it in contrast to Jesus and Jairus. Uh, Jairus, the synagogue leader, had come to Jesus saying, asking Jesus to heal his daughter. He didn't put any barriers up to Jairus and he was quite helpful and polite in responding. Uh, so why was... Why was Jesus being so rude and discriminatory here? But her reply is amazing, profound and, and insightful. And it, she's held up as an example of, of that others should follow. Uh, in verse 28, she replies, she says, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. It sh shows three remarkable things about this gentile woman first was her understanding she wasn't saying to jesus that he should snatch the food away from the table of the jews to feed to her she just she recognizes that jesus can be messiah of the children of israel and on the side he can can do this simple act of kindness and healing for her as well Perhaps speaking from personal experience, she understood that when you have children, as much food ends up on the floor under the table as stays on the table. When children eat at the table, the area under the table becomes a, a, a rich harvest for, for dogs and for vermin. And if you take your eyes off them for children, uh, sometimes children can crawl under a table and uh, eat a whole meal. Uh, from what they've dumped under there from their previous attempts. And so she's, she's speaking from that and saying, Jesus, the crumbs fall from the table anyway. Why not let me receive your mercy and, and bring healing to my daughter? The other remarkable understanding that this woman demonstrates is that she understands the imagery of the bread. The disciples don't get it. They never understand the, the image of Jesus as the bread of life until, until later. But as soon as Jesus uses the analogy of bread, she grasps it. She realises that he is the bread of life and that the healing, the salvation she needs, so desperately desires, comes from Jesus. But not only does she demonstrate profound understanding, she also demonstrates great humility. She knows that the children of Israel have precedence over Gentiles. She knows that she cannot insist that Jesus heals her daughter. She knows she can do nothing to deserve God's mercy and grace. But she still comes before Jesus and asks in humility for his blessing. And finally, she demonstrates remarkable persistence. 
She's held up as a, a hero of faith in the same way that the men who had hacked the hole in the roof of the house in order to, label, to allow that lower their friend down to get Jesus' healing. She's held up as a hero of faith just like the woman who pushes her way through the crowd so that she can just touch the robe of Jesus' garment. She's held up as the hero like the, the widow who cries out in the marketplace for justice against an unrighteous judge. This woman will not be put off. She has dogged yet humble faith that Jesus can do something for her. And Jesus' response is in verse 29. Then he told her, For such a reply you may go. The demon has left your daughter. The little dog is now accepted as a little girl. And the woman does not get a crumb. She gets precisely what she had begged from Jesus. Many commentators interpret Jesus' response as sort of recognising and rewarding her for her cleverness, for her insightfulness and her wittiness in responding. But that misunderstands the context altogether. This was a desperate woman begging for healing for her daughter. She wasn't trying to be smart. She was just trying to receive God's mercy. And what Jesus rewarded was her persistent, humble faith. She doesn't come expecting him to praise her for her intellect. She accepts that she is unacceptable. She accepts Jewish priority, that Jesus will focus first on the children of Israel. But she has no qualms about accepting the kingdom of God, just like a little dog. She is willing to humble herself just to receive a crumb from Jesus' table. And this awkward story, with all of its offence, shows us what Jesus is looking for. You see, Jesus is actually deliberately offensive. He, he throws challenges before people in the way he responds to them. He particularly does this with the Pharisees. He, he affronts them with their behaviour. He, he identifies them with, with honesty as hypocrites and challenges them to respond. He challenges this woman with this allegation of her being a Gentile and then undeserving of God's grace and asking her how she will respond to the offence of that truth. You see, we are all Gentile dogs. Most of us, if not all of us, are not the children of Israel. We deserve nothing from God except punishment for our selfishness and our self-righteousness. When some people hear that, they walk away with their inoffence. And this is what the Pharisees did. They rejected Jesus when he challenged them about their self-righteousness and their hypocrisy. They allowed their pride to kick in. And, and we do the same thing when we are, when we are confronted by our unworthiness. We, 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 we reject, some people reject Jesus and instead go away and worship a God of their own creation who is, who is more generous and, and more helpful and who, who doesn't call us out for what we are. Satan's favourite tool in blocking people from coming to Jesus is their pride. It muzzles our voices and stiffens our knees and stops us responding to Jesus the way we should. It's only when we're truly desperate that we are willing to do anything that it will take 
including our humbling ourselves to find God's help, that we will do it. The willingness to be humble is a key requirement for discipleship. The kingdom of God can only be accepted like a child, like a Gentile dog, in, humil in humility and respect for the God who offers us that salvation. God helps those who confess that they are needy and deserve nothing. Like the woman of Syrophoenicia, we must accept our place and come, as everyone must, as a sinner, poor and needy. And doing so with the reminder that Jesus never sends anyone away except those who are full of themselves. No matter how unclean you feel, no matter how far away from God you feel, you can come and in humility receive bread. No matter if, you're from, if you think you're from the wrong race or from the wrong religious background, there is nothing that can prevent you from receiving the grace from Jesus except your own pride. There's a wonderful prayer that was developed in the Anglican prayer book called the Prayer of Humble Access, dating from the 16th century. It's been spoken by millions of Christians down through the centuries as they've prepared their hearts to approach the communion table. And it holds together the two parts of the gospel. It holds together humility and understanding of our own worthiness with the generosity of God in willing to forgive us and restore us. We, it declares, we are sinners. God is merciful and holds those two truths beautifully together. So as you prepare your hearts for the Lord's Supper now, uh, I wonder if we can say that prayer together, the prayer of, of humble access. And uh, at the end of the prayer, feel forward free to uh, take the bread and eat it in remembrance of Christ's body broken for you and drink the cup in remembrance that his blood washes you clean. So let's pray this together out loud if you would like. We do not presume to come to this, your table, O merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness, but in your abundant and great mercies. We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under your table, but you are the same Lord, whose character is always to have mercy. Grant us therefore, gracious Lord, so to eat the flesh of your dear Son, Jesus Christ, and to drink his blood, that our sinful bodies may be made clean by his body, and our souls washed through his most precious blood, and that we may evermore dwell in him and he in us. Amen. Eat the bread, drink the cup, in remembrance of Christ's sacrifice for you. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for listening. We hope that you have been blessed by the message. Windsor Road Baptist Church is a growing intergenerational and international community of people committed to whole life discipleship. Please visit us at windsorroad.org.au to connect with us and to learn more about our church.